How's everybody doing? Good. I'm glad you made it here with us today. How about last week? Wasn't that a blessing? Just to be uh, with the community that came out to worship with us. Um, just, you know, a reminder, especially if you had friends or family who came out to visit, um, from, a, from an invite from you, uh, just, you know, a nudge, a tap on the shoulder uh, would be nice. I remember uh, the first time that I went to church, um, and I, you know, I thought all the people were nice, and I thought, well, that's about it. And then somebody reached out to me, and that just made me feel a little bit more special, like, oh, man, they actually remembered me. You know, and so, uh, and, and, and lo and behold, here I am now as a pastor. So who would have known that, right? So, uh, and in regard to the uh, reading plan that we're going to do, it's a very simple, easy reading plan. If, um, just by a way of hands, how many of you would like a healthier word life relationship with your Bible? How many would like, yeah? And so sometimes we, uh, I think it gets the best of each one of us. Every once in a while, we just kind of lose track. You know, and we, we start off strong, as we always do. It's a human trait, and then we just kind of peel off at the end of it. But um, if we could start off all together, it's a, it's a really easy reading plan. We're going to be reading through the book of Matthew. It's going to be one chapter a day. For the longer chapters, we're going to split those in half. This is going to go for about seven weeks or so. Um, I would love it if uh, you got a notebook or a journal uh, and then you write down what the reading was that day. And as you read, just anything that comes to mind by way of a nugget, like, wow, I didn't know this, and write that down. Or, well, what does this mean? And you write that question down. And maybe you reach out to somebody, or you bring those up in your life groups, uh, and then we'll discuss this together. But we're going to go th- be going through the book of Matthew for the next uh, almost two months, I think about seven weeks, like I said. Um, and then we're going to be, obviously we can't, preach a sermon on each chapter, but we're going to pick a special something out of each section of the week. So this week is going to be Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 5. That is the aim and the goal. How many can commit to reading one chapter a day uh, in the book of Matthew? Can we do that? Okay, and I'm excited to see what God does, what he speaks to us as we read together. Um, And then just in your community, in your home, just bring things up and just talk about it. You may not have an answer. You know, bring it up at the table, and if you don't have an answer, just go, hmm, and keep eating. <laughs> and, but, you know, and, but we're going to do that. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to get somewhere uh, with this. So, amen? amen? All right. I hope you're excited. Uh, let's jump right into our message. Um, in 2017, Apple released their iPhone 10. How many are happy with your phone right now? I knew it. I knew it. We want the newer one, don't we? Yeah, I have an iPhone 12. What are they on now? I don't know. It's like, yeah, 14, 15, something like that, right? I keep getting all these offers. Anyway, the iPhone 10 came out. It was a big change for iPhone because it was the year the iconic home button went away. It was a huge gamble that altered the iPhone forever. For 10 years, the home button was the command center for the iPhone. It always brought you back to the home screen with a single touch. It even unlocked your phone later on. They developed it where you could do a a thumbprint. But now it was gone. So the iPhone 10, when that came out, had a new way to recognize its owner and unlock the phone through its face recognition. How many have something like that, a feature like that on their phone? You just look at your phone, it recognizes your face, and it pops open. 
The true depth camera would accurately map out the most recognizable features and geometry of your face so now iPhone users can unlock their phones with a simple glance. In the same way an iPhone identifies the most recognizable facial features with a simple glance, the world ought to be able to recognize the most distinguishable characteristics of a Christian. Also, in a moment. If you're wondering what characteristics those would be, um, I know there are many. If you, if you read the Bible, we know what it means to be a Christian, and there's a lot of things that we shoot for and we try to attain. But in today's text, Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, we're going to get into this. There are two that Jesus gives us from his own lips and these two are non-negotiable. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, if you have something to read with. If not, you can follow along on the screen. Uh, let's go ahead and read it. And as we do, right off the bat, we're going to see what these two characteristics are. It's not hard to tell. It's right on the surface. Verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, I won't get in, I won't have time to teach this, so let me just give you a real quick blurb. The word... Uh, another version says a Hebrew word. It comes from the word moros, which is where we get the word moron. If you look up the word moron, it says a stupid person. Doesn't that sound offensive? Okay, so this is our Bible telling us that if you lose your taste, if you become tasteless, it's probably because of something we did, not because of something Jesus did. And it compares us to a moron. How many are encouraged this morning? Let's continue. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, as always, we come to you and we ask you uh, to come and illuminate your word. Bring it to life. Lord, you said that your word uh, is effective to dividing soul and spirit, uh, even bone and marrow. It, it is precise. And Father, I pray that as we get into this today, Lord, that your word would get into our hearts and get into our minds. Uh, oh God, and as always, we ask you, let your word make a difference in our lives, even starting right now as we read and as we learn so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the title of today's message is obviously Salt and Light, How to Impact the World. I was talking with my nephew last night at the table, and I was giving him a little bit of a preview uh, on my message. And, you know, a lot of times we get up here and we say, you know, hey, we want to change the world and we want to save our world, right? We hear that, and, and most of us, that would be our heart. And so I was telling Jericho that, you know, I think I need to amend what we say. And instead of saying, go in and change the world, I think Jesus would rather prefer that we go and we change our world. Just the world that we live in, the people that we touch base with every day, that we work with, that we hang out with that we, you know, whatever our hobbies and whatever we do, whether it's a gas station that's on the corner that you always frequent, I mean, that is your world. And how many can 
uh, that's a little bit of a better goal is to change the world where God puts you instead of the bigger one. And I think if we all contribute, then the bigger goal is reached. But that's the title of today's message, Salt and Light, How to Impact the World. If you know anything about the passage of Scripture that we just read, you might know that this is from Jesus' greatest sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. This was Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached. It's the one that almost right out the gates when he was in ministry, uh, he preached a sermon, and it went for uh, several days. Now, we get the 10-minute the, the, the version, uh, thank God, right? And so, um, but it went uh, for several days, and he would preach to the crowds. Now, I've heard it said that this is one of the purest iterations of Christianity of all time. One commentator called it the manifesto of the king, which to me is like the most epic phrase you could come up with for something. But no big deal, Right? The central theme of this Sermon on the Mount was the kingdom of God. Say the kingdom. Jesus wants to advance his kingdom, and he was sharing the master plan to accomplish that. Plan A for God's kingdom to advance was for him to transform you and to transform me and then use us as agents to go out into the world so that we can introduce Jesus so they can be transformed, others can be transformed as well. So far, so good. Plan B, there is no plan B. That's it. God is so confident in his plan, and he's so confident in the thorough work that he does in you and me, that he knows if we stick to the plan, his kingdom will advance across this earth. So we're going to get into this. And I hope this blesses you in a good way, encourages you in a good way, and then challenges all of us in a good way. We just have to work the plan. What that means for us is this. Regardless of your opinion, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of what you think, if you're a follower of Jesus who he himself spoke these words. These are not suggestions. The greatest sermon he ever preached, his most famous sermon, and I'm here to tell you none of them, none of what he says is a suggestion. Matter of fact, it's a command. It's a lifestyle. And it's an identity given to you and given to me, again, by Jesus himself. So if you're going to impact this world, this is what we're talking about today, then the first thing that you and I must do is embrace your identity. Embrace your identity. The Bible tells us that two of the most distinguishable features of a Christian showed us, and the first one was this in verse 13. It says, you could be the salt of the earth. Is that what it says? It says, you might be the salt of the earth. Is that what it says? No, he already assumes that if you've received him, you are you are the light of the earth. How many know salt is a powerful element? I like to cook. Um, and uh, my mom, I, I would learn some of her recipes or try to. Um, and after a while, my mom uh, was not able to see very well. She lost sight in one eye. And then she had a cataract blocking just the direct sight of the other eye. And there would be times where she cooks and she thought she was using sugar and it was actually salt. 
And how many know it's potent when salt is where it's not supposed to be? But it's also perfect when it is where it is, where it is supposed to be. And the thing about salt, it's so powerful. Um, you know, one of the first things that I learned to cook was eggs. How many could cook some eggs? We can cook some eggs, right? Maybe don't ask anything else, but I can cook some eggs. The thing about eggs is that you don't need a lot of salt. There's a natural flavor in food that when you put a little bit of salt, it brings that out. And so, so we're talking about salt here. It's a powerful agent, obviously. And in the Bible, it had three purposes. Number one, it was a preservative. Back in Jesus' day, they had a lot of power outages, so their refrigerators were unreliable. Some of y'all got that. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. Obviously, they didn't have those things back then. Uh, so I'm just kidding. They didn't have those. Um, but because they didn't have refrigerators, they would use salt to preserve and keep their food fresh. It was also used as an antiseptic. When people would have wounds, they would sprinkle salt on the wound to catalyze and expedite that, that healing process. The thing I liked about living in the islands is that when you had a scratch or a bruise or a scrape, you just go swimming in the ocean, and man, you come out, and in a few days, that thing is good. You know. So how many have... Uh, Okay, maybe I'm just bragging. Yeah, when we lived in the beautiful islands and, you know, that was nice. Also, number three, like I was saying, it's a seasoning and we still, we still use it for that today. Salt enhances flavor. It makes something better. It pulls the best out of the natural flavor of a food, and in the same way, we are, we are meant to be salt in the lives of people around us. So we're meant to be preservers of the word of God. This is what this means. We're to embody what that looks like. Our world and our culture is so thirsty for meaning and purpose right now, where we live in a world where truth is, is relative, and there are no absolutes, if, the, if any at all, uh, and there seem to be... If somebody arrives at a conclusion, they seem to be either wrong or there's, there's fighting about it and there's opinions about it. They philosophize about it. But we're designed to live in contrast to all of that. As the word of God and the power of God transforms us, we're to look more and more like him. We're also called to be an antiseptic. We all know this. We live in a world that is hurting. There's some of you here today who might be wounded and hurting and broken. These, you know, we, again, we might be here today feeling this way, but our presence and participation, there's a symbolism with, with salt and participation. But when we participate in the lives of those who are hurting and when we participate in the lives of those who are wounded, it brings a healing that God wants for them. And we're to do the same, what Jesus has done for us, to other people. We're also called to be seasoning. Now, we like this because some of y'all are spicy. A little too spicy, right? But we're called to be a seasoning, to enhance the lives of others. That's what salt does. It accentuates the natural flavor. We mentioned this already. It brings the best out. Say, bring out the best. And that's what we're to do as salt and light when we get around people. And we see what God sees. And you let them clash with a little bit of salt. And all of a sudden, God begins to bring the best 
out of here, out of them. So we're to do the same. The truth is that all of us have something about us that we're not, we're not proud of. <laughs> amen? That was a good place to say amen, but nobody, I get it, I understand. I probably wouldn't have said it either. It's like an admission, but it's true. All of us have something we're not proud of, something that we can improve in, something that we can get better at. At the same time, God who created us, he created us with gifts and talents, and he created us with purpose. We should be pulling the best out of people. The problem is sometimes we don't see the best, and sometimes we see the worst in people. And when we do that, that's what it means to start losing your, your saltiness. This is the only time God says it's okay to be salty. Your presence, your attitude, and your behavior, it shouldn't rub, the wrong, shouldn't rub people the wrong way. It shouldn't discourage them or make them upset. We are salt. We should be making people better. So the question is, are they inspired to do better in life or in their walk or whatever after being with you? Or do they come out a little bit more angry <laughs> or a little bit more discouraged or a little bit something, but other than encouraged? You know, while uh, we took this trip to Panama uh, a couple of months ago and um, for those of you who don't know, my biological father's from Panama, so there's a little bit of an intrigue for me, a little bit of a magnanimous kind of pride, and so uh, my, a good friend of mine started the church there, and they're doing incredible. They're only a year and a half old as a church, and they're already starting to plant another church in Costa Rica. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's very encouraging. But So Al J came uh, along, and Richard uh, Ching came along, and uh, and so, you know, I was excited because it was only my second time there. I, obviously, I don't go there a lot. Uh, and so we went. And so um, uh, I asked uh, Pastor Rico, I said, hey, man, take us to an authentic Panamanian restaurant. So he said, all right, you got it. And so um, we found this authentic Panamanian restaurant. And we invited all the pastors and the, and the, and the team in Panama. And we all went to eat. And so I saw what Alje was eating. Him and Richard were sitting at another table. And so across, I saw them order some seafood, and I saw these gigantic prawns and this big piece of fish, and I was like, oh, man, that looks so good. That's going to be so memorable from their trip to Panama, and they're going to walk away talking about how good the food was. And we got out the restaurant, he goes, man, how was your food? And I said, mine well, was all right. He goes, mine was so And I was like, ugh. <laughs> how many have ever had bland food before? You've had bland food. Am I the only one? What did the first thing you asked for? Give me some salt, maybe some hot sauce, right? A little bit of salt goes a long way. So I, I don't know if you, um, my mom, she would cook, or if I would cook, I would ask her to taste it. How many of your moms, or maybe you do this, when you go to taste it, you go... As if that makes you have more ability to taste. I don't know, but that was my mom every time. And I'm like, yeah. and she would tell me. So I, when I was a kid, I thought that was legit. A little bit of salt 
goes a long way. But here's the question I have for you. What is the aftertaste you leave behind after you've been with people? What do they taste from you? If God were to taste your spirit, if Jesus were to walk into this room himself, just take a sample of your spirit, what would he taste? Now, we already said that salt is a powerful element. Verse 13 tells us that it's possible for salt to lose its saltiness. How does that happen? It says we can lose saltiness, we can lose flavor, but how? I'll tell you the easiest way for us as Christians to lose our saltiness, and that's to dilute the character that God is building in us. A little bit of dilution, and all of a sudden the saltiness It goes away. When transforming through God stops, then conforming to the world starts. If we're not being transformed into God's image, we are being conformed into the likeness of what the world looks like. And then we are no different than anybody else. And as God's representatives, as his agents, as his people, whatever you want to call it, he tells us, do not look like them. No offense. (laughs) Do not act like them. Do not talk like them. Do not behave like them. And I know that sounds really bad, but how many many are getting the, the truth from what I'm saying? When we follow God, we want to be transformed to him, not conformed to the world. Next, in order to impact the world, we have to live out Our purpose. Live out your purpose. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. When Jesus said this, it wasn't a flippant thing. And when he was saying this regarding your purpose, your purpose in God is to bring illumination. It's to bring illumination because when, when the Holy Spirit illuminates something, it brings revelation. And then when we have revelation, we have a brand new perspective. And that's what we need, and that's what a lot of people in this world need. And what blows my mind is we're reading this in the Bible. Jesus was saying this when there was no electricity. You are the light of the world. And the only reference they must have had was a candle, right? It tells us. And so we can automatically come to the assumption that uh, this must have been a nighttime story that Jesus was telling. Or it must have took place at night. And that candle had to be so crucial at that moment. And in the same way, the salt and the light, the light that we bring is crucial. Because we live in a place that is very dark. But here's the thing. That's where light is most effective, is in a dark place. A lot of times we try to back away from those things. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm sending you in. Take the brightest flashlight you can imagine. You guys have heard me tell my spearfishing stories. We would go at night and we'd have these gigantic uh, floating uh, flashlights that, I mean, they, they would go far. And it's even scarier when, when you see the beam of light go so far into the ocean, you can't see the bottom, and then the light ends. And you're like, something's going to swim right out the darkness. 
right into me. But you could take that powerful flashlight and walk out into the parking lot right now and turn it on and it would make no difference. But you take a candle, as small as it may be, and you walk into a dark place and you light it up and it will always, always, always be effective. Always. You might think, oh, well, my light's not that bright. My flame's not that bright. Guess what? Sometimes it doesn't have to be. What God has given you is enough. It's enough, and he's calling us to go there. In the same way, salt had three purposes. So did light. Light had three purposes back then. Looking at the bigger picture, light is life-giving. Now, I may look like a scientist, just so you guys know I'm not. (laughs) You didn't have to laugh like that. (laughs) But in science class, think back to junior high. What did they tell you? Without sunlight, there is no life. Nothing lives. needs light. Every living organism feeds off each other, but the source is light. You learned a lot about something called photosynthesis, which is the process of light coming into a plant, giving it nutrients, and giving it food, which allows it to, to grow and nourish. And in the same way, we're called to be life givers and speak life and encouragement and not speak negative and not post over everything you disagree with and not share something bad with something else over and over and over and liking all these things. How many know what I'm talking about? Lord, I repent right now for now. We're to be givers of life, to speak encouragement, not negativity. People love to talk bad and negative about others behind their back. There's a word for that. It's called gossip. And gossip is a sin, but man, it just feels so good sometimes, doesn't it? When you got information and you know you're not supposed to say anything and you're like, did you hear? Okay, okay, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not. Or how many have heard this one? Oh, no, no, I'm just going to tell you so that you can pray for me. Right? And then you, now I've heard this, I don't know where I heard it from, but I want to coin this term here in this church. And it's called God gossip, where instead of saying bad things behind people's back, you say good things behind their back. And you lift them up and you say life-giving things. And then when you see them walk into church, you go, we were just talking about you, girl. How humble you are. The way you carry yourself, how much you love God, the way you worship. But we need to change our language if we're going to be salt and light. Because as salt and light, we we can't be that. The way we be that is we lose our saltiness. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be kind. We're called to be encouraging and winsome. That's what shining light and changing uh, the perspective of others, shining that light, that's what it does for them. It means doing good, doing good for others. And we do good together. Now, I learned something scientific uh, about light. Again, just my, my brilliant mind, okay? As you know, light operates on a spectrum. I bet you didn't know that, did you? But you know what happens 
if you take all the colors of that spectrum and you focus it on one point, you know what color that light turns into? Bright white. Ultra bright white. And it kind of reminds me of the church as we kind of carry our little light and we're all of different color. And we all, but when we have one singular focus of mind and we, and we, and we focus it in that direction, and then it allows the light of Christ. I mean, by ourselves, it's already effective. But when we pull it all in, and we, and we, and we point it at one person, or at one family, or one, or one goal, and all of a sudden, this, this laser being called Jesus goes and does his work, that's what God calls us to be. This is another part of our purpose. It transforms our lives. It transforms others' lives. It's not just the individual thing, though sometimes you will feel by yourself. But then you come into a place like this, and it becomes corporate. And then the third thing about light is that it's invasive. Verse 15 says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So we can read, they took the lamp and they put it up high enough so that it provided light for everyone in the house. The assumption we can make again is that this was at nighttime. Okay, because you don't need light during the day, as we mentioned. And I think this is important for us to note because it's in the dark moments where light is needed the most. You can think about a family member and think about a dark moment where they might be in. You can think of a, of a neighbor or somebody else, maybe even a stranger. And maybe you even identify with maybe something that they're going through. And thank God he's reached us. But again, the goal, remember plan A, for us to be transformed so that we can be agents of change for somebody else. And the light within us should shine the brightest with a new perspective of God, a new revelation of God. When you see grieving people and hurting and homeless people, this is our chance. That's our chance to do good. If someone is having a hard time or there's a sickness in the family and we show up with a meal, or we just show up and say, hey, can I clean your house? I'm not a very good cleaner, my wife will tell you, but I'll try and I'll do whatever it takes. It means this. It means that we smile wherever we go. Hello. We smile wherever we go. That means wherever you are going for lunch today with your friends or whoever you invite, if all of y'all smiled at your server, I know it would be weird, but if all of y'all smiled at your server, can you imagine? We would rock this world. One of my favorite shirts that I still got to buy, I've never bought it. It says, smile, it confuses people. And it does, because you don't see it these days anymore. And God is calling us to be salt and light. That's what we're called to do. We're called to invade the dark spaces of people's lives and shine new perspective of help, new perspective of hope. So if we're going to impact our world, we must embrace our identity. We must live out our purpose and then finally, we must reveal the source. 
Zeke, can you come up and help me? Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This should be our motive and it should be the outcome of everything that we do. That phrase, good deeds, is how we should live our lives. There's two Greek words for the word good. If you were to study this, um, I had a picture. I was going to show you the picture when I was studying this. It's that, anyway, I, I won't go there because it's going to take more time and you guys are hungry, I know. Um, but there's two words, so let me get back on track here before I, before I rabbit trail. Two Greek words for good. The first one is agathos. It means good quality. It means, wow, this, this, this is a good table. You know, Zeke, this is, a, this is a good keyboard. It speaks of quality. Agathos. But that's not the word that Jesus used here. The second Greek word is kalos, which not only means good, but it also means attractive. And it means winsome. And it means beautiful. And that's how we're called to live our lives. We're meant to be so attractive and so beautiful by what we do, the things that we do, that it eventually wins people. And it doesn't stop there. Not just win people to ourselves, but that we would win people to God. We're to live in such a way, such a great way, not to people, not that people uh, would think that we're great, but we win people so that people know that God is great. The goal, and when we do this, Jesus is glorified, and that's why we exist. That, my brothers and sisters, is why we exist. That is our purpose. So that when we do this, Jesus is glorified. We're saved for his glory. We live for his glory. We, we serve for his glory. And when we embrace this, people will be able to see who God is through us. So thank God he did it to us first. But how many know it's not about us? To Jesus it's about us, but to us it's about him. And so everything that we do is so that he's glorified. And I promise you, as you humble yourself, God will exalt you. He doesn't forget, but it's better when he does it. We don't have to exalt ourselves, I promise you. Just keep doing what God has asked you to do. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding uh, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Glory is indicative of God's light. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I'll leave you with this final thought before we pray. Psalm 34, 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I don't know about you, but through all the good and all the bad, all the great times I've been through, I can still come to the conclusion 
that God is good. And when it says that God is good, it doesn't mean that he's just all right. Like we, we say, you know, hey, how are you? Uh, I'm good. It's like I'm not bad, but I'm not great either. I'm just good. And that's not what that means when it says that God is good. It means that there is nothing bad in him at all. That's what it means when God is good. His nature is his goodness. And that's what he gives to us. And that's what he wants us to share with others. So we just read this. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what God wants for other people. But how can they taste and see if we are not salt and light? It won't happen. It won't happen. I don't know about you, but I feel very privileged that God would allow me to be a part of this plan. And I'm very blessed that God has enough confidence in what he's doing in me and that he has enough confidence in me and in you. How many know we got what it takes to go and change our world, to go and impact our world? Maybe not the bigger picture, but whatever world you're a part of. Brennan Manning famously said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So for the ones who are called to be salt and light, but they lose their saltiness. It's one of the biggest factors for people not coming to the Lord because they can't believe people would identify with a God, preach about a God, and say they live for a God and their lifestyle doesn't, doesn't show for it. Let that never be said of us. I pray that we Every nation church, Las Vegas, would be a church who owns this heavy responsibility to be the salt and light of the earth so that we could reach the lost, not so this church can be glorified, but that the God we serve would be glorified. How many agree with that? How many would say amen to that? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you. Lord, for your... Lord, your incredible, incredible word. And Lord, I thank you uh, that, Lord, the, the plan that you set in place, uh, Lord, we don't get it. We don't, don't understand it. If I was forming a team, I'd pick all the all-stars. But, Lord, you, you, picked, you picked me of all people. And you might be feeling the same way. But our little bitty faith with a big God is enough to do what he says he can do. Father, I pray that you put it on our hearts. Lord, just to get a glimpse of the burden that you carry to be a blessing and to be able to reach uh, this world, oh God. Let our hearts become your heart. Father, let our burdens become uh, just like your burden. Father, just those that you want to reach and those that you love. Real quick, just because I always want to give an opportunity.
if you're here today and your heart isn't right with God, and I've been there, and we've all been there, and we want to pray with you, and I do this, we do it all together, but before we move any further, before we conclude this service, is there anybody here you want to get your heart right with God? Would you raise your hand? Is that anybody here? God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Anybody? I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Anybody else? Church, can we stand to our feet? We're going to pray all together with the two who raised their hands so, they don't, so that they're not by themselves. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I admit that I've sinned against you, that I'm wrong. But I ask for your forgiveness because I believe that you died for me and that you shed your blood for me and that it was enough to wipe away my sin. I invite you to come into my heart to change my life and give me the grace to live for you from this day forward.